0: Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat, like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text Pod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text Pod to 500-500.
1: Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, the countdown to Election Day continues, and a political fight over President Trump's Supreme Court nominee begins.
2: She is a woman of unparalleled achievement, towering intellect, sterling credentials, and unyielding loyalty to the Constitution, Judge Amy Coney Barrett.
1: LATE SATURDAY, PRESIDENT TRUMP INTRODUCED HIS PICK TO SUCCEED RBG. Meet ACB, a conservative federal appeals court judge who is also a working mother of seven. While I am a judge, I'm better known back home as a room parent, carpool driver, and birthday party planner. If confirmed, the Supreme Court would shift even further to the right, the prospect of which is making the final days of an already bitter and brutal presidential campaign even more divisive. I have no illusions that the road ahead of me will be easy. I assure you that I will meet the challenge challenge with both humility and courage. We'll talk with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and former White House counsel Don McGann about Judge Barrett's confirmation as well as the president's refusal to commit to a peaceful transfer of power if he loses in November.
2: That's the only way we're going to lose is if there's mischief mischief, and it'll have to be on a big scale, so be careful.
1: Delaware Democrat Chris Kuhn sits on the Senate Judiciary Committee. He'll weigh in, as will former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson. Plus, we'll check in with former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb and talk with Doug Parker, the CEO of American Airlines. They're poised to lay off 19,000 workers this week as a result of the COVID economy. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. and welcome to Face the Nation. With just over a month until Election Day, Capitol Hill has become the new battleground in a fierce dispute over the makeup of the Supreme Court. Last night, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham said he expected to start Judge Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearings in just two weeks. President Trump told Fox News that he thinks she'll be confirmed before and probably long before Election Day. We begin this morning with White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, who joins us from Washington. Good morning to you.
3: Good morning. Great to be with you.
1: Have Republican leaders assured you they can deliver on that timeline?
3: Well, obviously, I've, uh, we've been in conversations with Leader McConnell, with uh, Chairman Graham. Uh, he is going to put forth a pretty aggressive uh, uh, schedule for hearings and markups that we believe will happen in the middle part of October. And if all goes well, uh, then certainly a, a, a vote on the floor uh, sometime before the election. But that's going to be up to Leader McConnell and, and the team and making sure that all the senators are well informed of. Uh, the judges' credentials, which are impeccable, uh, but we're, we're optimistic that we'll be prepared. We'll start delivering uh, the information to the senators tomorrow, and then uh, we'll be on Capitol Hill as early as Tuesday.
1: As early as Tuesday. Sir, when I look at some of the data right now in terms of where the country is with the coronavirus, there are four U.S. states, including Wisconsin, that have had record one-day increases. We're going into cold weather, we're headed towards Election Day. Where's the infection rate going to be?
3: Well, it's hard to tell where the infection rate is going to be, but what I can tell you is the progress with vaccines has just been remarkable. Uh, we've had a, a number of conversations with not only uh, the FDA and those that are involved in making sure that any vaccine is is fully vetted and safe, uh, but additionally, some of the clinical trials are in the uh, the very late uh, Uh, stages of development. And so we're optimistic that what we'll be able to do is hopefully uh, start taking sign up for those vaccines. Uh, And so even as we face this unknown uh, virus that came to us from China, Uh, We're trying to make sure that we're prepared to uh, do all we can to mitigate uh, the difficult circumstances that a lot of Americans are facing.
1: But the predictions are not that you could have a vaccine by Election Day. And it is relevant in terms of the infection rate because people have to have confidence to be able to go out and go to the polls. If you look at data from AEI, hospitalizations are no longer declining. In fact, they may be increasing. It doesn't look like this is under control.
3: Well, the hospitalization rate uh, is if you'll look at that data whether it 's from Aei or anywhere else, the hospitalization rate actually has been a a good news story uh, over the last several months uh, to suggest that it is spiking up. Uh, is is not accurate. I said increasing, but I can't, uh, but 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 I, but I can tell you that uh, well, you know, one or two uh, increases in certain states. Uh, certainly, we're going to continue to fight this as those embers uh, pop up and. In, in, uh, areas. But we're, we're having uh, ongoing discussions with our governors and mitigation risk. Uh, there will be an announcement on uh, Monday as it looks at additional testing that the federal government will be providing to all the governors. And so uh, as the president makes that announcement, I think that will be an encouragement so that everybody can go back to school or back to work and feel like they can do that in a safe manner.
1: You talked about a vaccine. The FDA is supposed to be issuing these stricter guidelines. We've been told to expect that. But then you reportedly called the FDA commissioner and really challenged him on trying to justify doing that. You're not a doctor. Why insert yourself politically into this, which which feeds these concerns uh, about interference?
3: So, Margaret, obviously your producer didn't do a good job of informing you of exactly what I've done. What we actually have is new guidance that's coming out. My question is, why would that new guidance come out after we've already spent $30 billion in doing that? And my challenge to the FDA is just make sure it's based on science and real numbers. And so as we look at that, we're making very good progress. Why would the FDA not be basing
1: it on science and real numbers? Why would you think that they're doing that?
3: Well, why would you think that we would need new guidance after we've developed vaccines and drugs for for decades and then all of a sudden we're the going FDA to change said something they in, the last, to. In, in, the, in the last two weeks? The question is why, Margaret? I mean, why would we do that? I'd also look at this, and as we got into that discussion, here's one of the great things that we're looking at. If we're looking at tens of thousands of people that are in these clinical trials, we want to make sure that it's safe. The phase one, phase two indicated that that these uh, vaccines that are going through are safe. We're trying to make sure that the guidance we give is not... Uh, uh, a uh, inhibitor to getting things out fast, but right. it also doesn't detract from it. So I'm optimistic that that guidance will come out uh, based on good sci- science and uh, ultimately our FDA guidelines to make sure that all people who take a vaccine can do that yep. with uh, some kind of assurance that uh, the process is uh, uh, meted out properly.
1: You were on uh, another show on this network earlier this week, and, and you raised questions about the competence of the current FBI director, Chris Wray, after he testified that there was no evidence of uh, voter fraud in a major election, by mail or otherwise. Is the president confident in Director Ray's leadership?
3: Well, I think my my uh, reference to that particular point uh, said that he couldn't find Emails at the FBI, and so to opine on whether uh, we have wide-scale fraud or not is—it's it's not him that's uh, with boots on the ground. You know, and I know that there's actually an investigation that the Department of Justice has, has initiated, with some ballots right. being thrown in a waste paper uh, basket. What we want to make sure of is that every Nine vote ballots counts in Pennsylvania. But. but nine ballots, but that's what we found. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we need to make sure that we investigate it. But it's not just the nine ballots in Pennsylvania. It's duplicate ballots in other states. And so to suggest that that there is a process that is full of integrity uh, is is trying to make a verdict before you've actually heard the case. And that's my, my problem with Director Ray. They need to investigate it and make sure that, that the voting populace uh, make sure that their him? vote counts the and no one else's does. I beg your pardon?
1: Is the president confident in him?
3: Well, I mean, uh, as we look at this, we want to make sure he's doing his job. There are different degrees of confidence in different cabinet members, and certainly he's still there. The, the minute that the president loses confidence in mm-hmm. any of his cabinet members, uh, he will they serve at his pleasure. He will certainly look at replacing them.
1: CBS estimates that at least 80 million Americans are going to vote by mail. That's what they plan to do. But the president said last night the whole ballot scam is going to cause a lot of problems for this country. Yeah. Why is he publicly undermining confidence in that?
3: Well, I don't know that he's publicly undermining confidence as much as he's stating the facts. We've got He said states it's a scam. Are, uh, well, well, we've got states that actually are doing things that you would – qualify as a scam when you start to look at allowing mail-in ballots to come in seven, nine days after November 3rd, uh, changing the laws through judges that actually are not legislators. I I think that that's a real problem. And so you you can call it what you will, but what (laughs) you can call it is unusual and unique. And and we need to make sure that what we do is is protect the ballot process to make sure that we're not creating a situation that is ripe with fraud. And he's right to to highlight it. The very fact that we're talking about it this morning is a good thing that hopefully all states will look at making sure that they uh, make sure that that ballot is sacred.
1: Yes. And it is up to the states to determine those. We'll talk about that ahead on the program. Thank you, Chief. Sure. We want to go now to Delaware Democratic Senator Chris Coons. He's in Wilmington. Good morning to you, Senator.
4: Good morning, Margaret. Great to be on with you again.
1: You heard Mark Meadows' confidence and the timeline and the confirmation of of Judge Barrett. You're laughing. Uh, It doesn't seem, though, that that Democrats can do much to stop it. Uh, Will Democrats do anything to slow it down? Will they boycott hearings? How serious are you about trying to throw sand in the gears?
4: Uh, Margaret, what I was uh, shaking my head about was having just heard Mark Meadows breathlessly trying to support President Trump's desperate efforts uh, to cast doubt on the legitimacy of this election. Um, We should not be barreling forward with this partisan nomination. There's only 37 days until the election. There is no precedent in American history for a president filling a vacancy this close to an election, where I'll remind you, more than half of the American state's are already voting. We should be waiting until after the election. We should honor Justice Mm -hmm. Ginsburg's dying wish that the people should choose the next president, the next president choose her successor.
1: Uh, Well, Eisenhower recess appointed Brennan uh, 22 days before the election, but I understand that was without Senate consent. So I hear your point. But the question was, are Democrats going to do anything to slow this down? Some of your colleagues are saying they won't even meet with the nominee. What will you ask her when you meet with her?
4: Uh, Well, I'm either going to meet with her in person or by phone, just another way this pandemic uh, has upended the lives of millions of Americans. Uh, I'll press her on her previous statements about the Affordable Care Act. President Trump said he would only choose a nominee he was confident would overturn the Affordable Care Act. And as you know, Margaret, that's on the Supreme Court's docket just one week after the election. It defies comprehension why President Trump would continue in his efforts to strip away from the American people pre existing discrimination protection. There's more than 100 million Americans who have a pre existing mm-hmm. condition, 7 million more because they've been infected in this pandemic. And I'll remind you, Margaret, Justice Ginsburg's life's work was protecting us against gender discrimination. And before the ACA, insurance companies could and did discriminate against women just for being women by treating pregnancy as a preexisting condition, charging women more for access to health insurance. It's amazing to me that Judge Barrett has publicly criticized the decision by Chief Justice Roberts mm-hmm. that upheld the constitutionality of the ACA and that President Trump is making it yeah. clear a vote for Judge Barrett to be on the Supreme Court is a vote to repeal the ACA and take away health care protection uh, from a majority of Americans I understand that, but it,
1: Judge Barrett introduced herself to the American public as a mother of seven, as sort of a class mom, a yes. very warm uh, presentation in, in the yes. public space. How do you fight that? Well,
4: we don't need to fight that. I can respect the fact that she has a beautiful family that Uh, Her clerks and uh, students uh, say she's a very talented uh, professor and judge. That's not what's at issue here. What's at issue is both this rushed and partisan confirmation in which President Trump has told us he's choosing someone who will overturn Roe v. Wade, he's choosing someone who will overturn the ACA, and he's choosing someone who President Trump himself says he will need to put their thumb on the scale so that he can win the next election. He's not confident he'll win it fair and square at the ballot box. He says we have to rush through this nominee so that there's nine justices and one he handpicks to, according to President Trump, well, support him in his re-election effort.
1: Well, he, he said he won. He, he believes it'll go to the court and be decided. Um, I, I understand your points. As you know, with individual cases, judges sometimes are hard to predict, uh, even though you can kind of guess where they yeah. stand ideologically. Um, but on the question for her confirmation hearing... Uh, Judge Barrett has been before your committee before because she, she was confirmed to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And at the time, Senator Feinstein said to her, and you know what I'm going to say to you because it's gone viral, the dogma lives loudly within you. And that is of concern to many people that sounded like anti-Catholic bigotry. You are a man of faith. How did that comment land with you?
4: Well, Margaret, as you know, millions of Americans rely on our faith to to guide us, to give us a framework in which we raise our children and live our lives, a community of meaning and of depth. And um, religious faith should not be uh, at issue here. There isn't a religious test for service in the government, whether it's in the Senate or on the Supreme Court. Is uh, that a legitimate question? Should that be raised that as a factor? Justice What should be raised is her opinions, her speeches, her public statements as a professor and a judge, and whether or not she will uphold precedent. As you well know, Margaret, uh, Roe versus Wade, Griswold versus Connecticut, these are settled cases that for decades have allowed Americans to have confidence uh, about the role of the state in terms of their private decisions about health care. And the Affordable Care Act, is settled law. The Supreme Court has upheld it as being constitutional. That's on the docket a week after this election. Mm -hmm. That's on the ballot. And that's something Judge Barrett has spoken directly about. It is appropriate for us to question her statements, her opinions, her actions as a professor and judge, but not to go into questions of doctrine or faith personally. Mm -hmm. That's where I'll be focusing my questions on okay. the Affordable Care Act, and on what she has said publicly about her views on its constitutionality.
1: Very quickly, first presidential debate is this week. You support Joe Biden. What should we expect? Is this going to be yeah. the main argument?
4: You should expect that President Trump, who is a very successful reality TV star, is a master of spectacle. Uh, he will say whatever it takes in order to distract us from Joe Biden, who will again show us his heart, his compassion, his character, Joe Biden has laid out a clear and strong plan for how to get us out of this pandemic, for how to bring us back together, for how to revive our economy. Joe's going to focus on that, and Donald Trump's going to try and distract us
1: however he can. Senator Coons, thank you. We'll be back in a minute. Stay with us.
5: We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. Go to zbiotics.com/cbs to get 15% off your first order when you use code CBS at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So, if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/cbs and use the code CBS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, z for sponsoring this episode and our good times.
1: We turn now to former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson. Part of his job in that role was combating election interference. He's in Montclair, New Jersey. Good morning to you.
6: Good morning, Margaret. Uh,
1: it is ultimately up to the states to administer elections. Um, what are your concerns about the integrity and the security of this race?
6: Well, first, Margaret, it's it's disconcerting to see the president and his chief of staff cast doubt on the integrity of our our democracy. Uh, in fact, uh, mail-in voting is almost as old as, as the nation. There are states now where the predominant way to vote is by mail. And uh, we, we managed to have a peaceful election in 1944 during World War II. We managed to have a uh, a relatively calm, peaceful election in 1864 when the nation was literally at war with it, with itself. And so uh, my concern is that the president himself seems to be the one casting doubt on, on mail-in votes in particular. The documented cases of fraud around mail-in voting is a small fraction of something like 1%. Uh, now, having said that, I think all Americans should plan how they are going to vote. What is unusual about this election is that we're going to have to move something like 100 million mail-in ballots. And so I would encourage Americans to plan their vote, vote early, whether it's in person or by mail. I got mine yesterday in the mail, and I plan to return it as soon as possible.
1: Right. You are in New Jersey, which is allowing mail-in this year uh, on a large scale. Um, you know, the president said that he thinks this will end up in the Supreme Court. I understand what you're saying about undermining the overall integrity, but many people would say, we've never done this before. It is going to be messy. So is that not a fair question to ask, is, is how can we actually do this?
6: Well, the reality is, Margaret, that, our demo- that one of the special things about our democracy is that whatever power President Trump has uh, evaporates on January 20 at noon, and whoever has 270 electoral votes at that moment, and we can talk about the wisdom of the electoral college, (laughs) becomes the president, and at that moment becomes commander in chief, becomes the director of the executive branch, and the the other candidate walks off as a, a private citizen. That's how we've been doing things for almost 250 years, and I'm confident that we will continue to do it in that way.
1: You're saying at new 12.01 on January 20th, the Secret Service would escort out President Trump if he loses, that a peaceful transition of power, you are confident, will happen?
6: It's the way our democracy works, Margaret. Um, the president doesn't get to stay in power simply by surrounding himself with the tools and the vestiges of power. Whatever power this president has evaporates at noon on January 2021. 20, and whoever has the requisite number of electoral yep. college votes is the next president.
1: Um, well, it may be messy getting to that point uh, that the Senate was briefed on election security this week. Senator Mark Warner uh, said the period immediately before and after the election could be uniquely volatile. What does that suggest to you?
6: Well, the, in terms of the, the external threat, uh, the threat from the Russians and others, uh, I, I agree with what the FBI director said this past week, that we have to be on guard in particular for disinformation, pushing out extremist views, fake news, which is why I think all Americans should take the trouble to inform themselves about how they're going to exercise their vote and, and look past the noise. Without a doubt, this election will be unusual because of the number of mail-in ballots. But we've done this before. We've done this since almost the beginning of our democracy. The other unusual thing about this is you have a president who, frankly, is trying to ratchet up the anxiety and the Mm -hmm. concern. About our democracy. I think all Americans have to have history in mind and know that we have a strong constitutional system.
1: But as you know, conservatives have seized on a comment by former Secretary Hillary Clinton when she said Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. Since that time, her aides have said that was just specific to election night. But other Democrats have said she shouldn't have said that at all. You think that's damaging?
6: The way I would put it is this, Margaret, Uh, whoever does not win the election uh, should have more respect for the Constitution and our democracy rather than his own political fortunes. And we've seen that time and again. For example, the very eloquent concession speech by John McCain Mm -hmm. in 2008, Uh, the, the candidate has to care more about the democracy than whether or not he or she wins. That's the way I'd put it.
1: Very quickly, you're a former prosecutor. The Breonna Taylor decision in Louisville is continuing to lead to protests. What do you make of that case?
6: Well, I hesitate to uh, sit in judgment if I'm not privy to all the evidence. Uh, The charge that has been uh, um, brought up against this particular officer, I think it's wanton endangerment. It's, it's, It's as if you're acting in a mode of self-defense but you're firing into a crowded uh theater indiscriminately it's hard for me to distinguish that and that charge against that officer and those who fired directly at brianna taylor but we'll know more soon is my hope
1: all right secretary johnson thank you for your insight and we will be back in a moment
0: across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing
1: News estimates this year that at least 80 million people will vote early in person or by mail. That's a big increase from 2016. Make sure you have a plan on how you will vote and where. Go to cbsnews.com forward slash vote. We'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation. Up next is former White House counsel Don McGahn. Stay with us. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We want to go now to former White House counsel Don McGahn. He joins us from Owings Mills, Maryland. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Sure. Uh, You know Amy Coney Barrett. Um, You vetted her. You put her on the list of judges in the first place that was considered by President Trump. Um, But he passed her over last time and went with Brett Kavanaugh. What gave you pause then, and, and are you certain she will be confirmed this time?
2: Uh, I think I think the president's made an outstanding choice in nominating her. He promised justices in the mold to Nino Scalia, a great, great justice. clerk for Scalia, became a protege of his, and I think she's a fantastic judge. There's no reason why the Senate shouldn't confirm her, and I think she's already had a career in the bench, and it will continue on the Supreme Court.
1: But what gave pause last time? I mean, sometimes it's hard to predict how judges will uh, actually rule on individual cases. Um, But is there something that we should be scrutinizing here uh, in in terms of her stance? I mean, Democrats are assuming she's against affordable care and against Roe versus Wade. Are those fair assumptions?
2: I don't think they're fair assumptions one way or the other. We've heard this for decades in Washington, D.C. I remember being... a a very young law student and hearing this about Robert Bork and hearing this about Clarence Thomas and hearing this about virtually every justice that's been nominated by a Republican, uh, you cannot guarantee results with judges. What you can guarantee is that they are going to approach the task of judging as a judge. They're not going to substitute their own policy views for the will of the people. They're going to try to play straight and read the law as passed by Congress and as found in the Constitution, not based upon what they think it ought to be, but what it is. I disagree that there was any hesitancy or pause last time. Uh, She was a relatively new federal judge. She was placed on a short list. Uh, The public found out about the short list because it was publicly announced, so the process has really been transparent. Recall the president, even as a candidate, put out not one but two lists of judges who could be on the Supreme Court. updated a few times since. So I think that at the time, Brett Kavanaugh was the right person at the right time, and I think Amy, Judge Amy Barrett is the right person at the right time now.
1: Why is Senator McConnell rushing this through now? Some people are speculating it's because he thinks Trump might lose, or that Republicans want her vote there as the debate over Obamacare begins. Why rush it?
2: I, I disagree that it's being rushed. I think it actually, if you look at historical precedent, is following regular order. One goes back into history. It's One pretty short timeline. Most well, uh, Frankfurter went through uh, 12 days start to finish. You just say, Well, that's ancient history. What about modern times? John Paul Stevens, who's become a hero of the left, went through 16 days start to finish. Sandra Day O'Connor went through in 33 days start to finish. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg went through 42 days start to finish. So there is time to do it. It is not outside of the norm. You don't think uh, it's about uh, certain- the election? Well, I certainly think that there's an imminent election, and obviously everyone's talking about the election. But I think when the president makes a nomination, he's obligated to do so under the Constitution. This has happened 29 times in our history where there's been election year mm-hmm. uh, nomination, and it's, it's uh, happened before. It'll probably happen again. Uh, and even Justice Kennedy, who many hold up as a, as a model justice, uh, was, was confirmed and appointed in an election year in 1988 when President Reagan wasn't even on the ballot. So this idea that somehow this is out of the norm simply doesn't ring true.
1: So when you were at the White House, this was your project. Um, And looking at Pew Research— One of many. One of many. Fair. But President (laughs) Trump—we'll get to that. President Trump has appointed more federal appeals court judges to date than any recent president— He's not sitting around reading legal briefs, as you talked about. There's a list that was put in front of him of possible choices. You've been working with Mitch McConnell to really have this be a conveyor belt that has helped to confirm these in in a high number. But do you worry that that kind of churn um, and, and this process can can undermine faith that that the court is above the political fray?
2: Well, the court ought to be above the political fray. That's the point of the court. We have three co-equal branches, and the court is supposed to be removed from it. Uh, it's done in a variety of ways. One is life tenure. Two is the confirmation process itself. And the president can't simply pick. It has to be with the advice, consent of the Senate. But I think if you look at the judges President Trump's put on the bench, it's going to go down in history as a, as a monumental achievement of his presidency. He has put a number of, of judges on who are eminently qualified went to top schools, did well in the schools they went to, clerked at the Supreme Court themselves, or A-list circuit judges, had stellar careers. It's your list. And I know you
1: like it. but Pardon? I said it's your list. I know you Pardon? like it. But <laughs> but so no. so, so I- bigger picture, though.
2: It doesn't change the credentials, though. And I- just oh, because I'm not I- saying I- that. No. Great. But the. But if you look at the facts, it's a yeah. fantastic judge. There's really no arguing with the with the merit of the of these nominees.
1: Your name appears in the Mueller report 529 times. Um,
2: and Amy Barrett's name appears nowhere in the Mueller report. Sure, but she just got nominated.
1: I understand, but we're talking about justice and judges. Given the president's challenges with the law, and his obligation under the Constitution to to take care that the law be faithfully executed. Do you think there's a contradiction here? Do you think he deserves four more years in office?
2: I think if you look at his record, he does. He had the economy going wonderfully. He made a number of promises on the campaign trail. You will vote for him. One is the judicial selection, which he's done. He's had a record number of judges on there, on the circuit courts. And this really matters. And look, there's been, since the 16 election, he has made this a a critical issue. He was very transparent and ran on it. It really helped in the 2016 election, and there's been an intervening election and two Supreme Court nominees and confirmations, and those who supported Trump's judicial nominations did pretty well yep. in re-election. Those who opposed, not. So the I'm people gonna... have spoken not once but twice.
1: And I'm going to take that as a yes for you, from you that you're voting for him again. All right. Don McGahn, thank you this morning for your insight. We'll be right back.
0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: And we are back with former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who joins us from Westport, Connecticut. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Last Sunday, you said there are 30 states where there's an expanding epidemic. Uh, We spoke to the White House chief of staff this morning uh, and pointed out to him that that hospitalizations are no longer declining. What do we need to be prepared for? What does this trend indicate?
7: Well, I think there's still a question whether or not this is the beginning of an upsurge heading into the fall and the winter, or we're seeing sort of a post-Labor Day bounce. Um, Clearly, we've seen a rise in cases across the country right now. Hospitalizations, as you said, They were declining. They're no longer declining. There's some indication they're starting to rise again, which would be expected now that cases are going up. Whether this is the start of a persistent trend heading into the fall and the winter or it's just a temporary upsurge and we level off again, is unclear... I think that there's a lot of concern that we could start to see a real upsurge. And this is a continuation of a broader trend underway as we head into the colder months. We were always facing heightened risk of increased spread of coronavirus as we headed into the fall and winter. Now we're there. We're starting to see that increase. um, And we're taking a lot of infection into a very dangerous season for this virus.
1: Uh, The chief of staff talked about his conversation with the FDA and drawing into question their revision to guidance, but he said it will be forthcoming on the vaccine. What did you interpret his comments to mean?
7: Well, look, I I don't think that this guidance represented a revision in the agency's standards or any kind of higher bar. What this was was an articulation of the principles and standards that the FDA has been using for a long time and frankly been communicating to the companies that are developing vaccines. So a lot of these principles have already been communicated to the companies and are in fact being followed. And as you know, I'm on the board of Pfizer, but I also talked to a lot of the other clinical development leads and the other companies working on vaccines. And I think that there was widespread agreement um, that these principles, as they were discussed in the press, were mostly in line with everyone's expectations. And so. Whether or not the agency issues the guidance, I think this is going to be the basis for which they make decisions. Now, I would prefer that they're able to issue the guidance in its entirety in the way that they envision it, because that would provide more transparency around the basis that they're using to judge these vaccines. But whether they release it or they don't, I think these are going to be the principles that govern that process.
1: And what should we expect from a vaccine? Dr. Fauci said this week that it won't be 100 percent effective. What can Americans expect? Well,
7: look, we don't know yet. We don't have the data. There's major trials underway with more than 30,000 patients in each trial. Pfizer involved 44,000, Moderna 30,000. J&J just announced a trial with 60,000 patients. These are major outcomes trials. So we should wait and see what the data ultimately shows. But the expectation is that this vaccine is going to be partially protective, a lot like the flu vaccine, where for certain people it will provide full immunity. But for other people, it's not going to provide as much protection. Maybe it will lessen the severity of COVID if they contract the infection. But it's not going to provide what we call sterile immunity, which which means you're not going to be able to get infected with COVID. There will be some people who still get infected with COVID. That's the expectation. Now, it could be that the vaccines prove to be much more effective than we expect. Mm -hmm. It could be that the vaccines prove to be a lot less effective than we expect. But I think that should be the base case, the the base expectation of individuals.
1: Do you agree with the CDC, Director, that 90 percent of Americans remain susceptible to this virus? That's what the data
7: shows. I mean, CDC has some data that they've developed looking at antibodies across the country, basically layering tests onto normal blood draws being done by LabCorp and Quest to look at how many Americans have antibodies to coronavirus. And so they're deriving some of that information from that very large project that they've undertaken. But other studies seem to indicate about the same thing. About 10 percent of Americans have been exposed to this virus. The best modeling that I've seen that suggests that there could be a higher rate Mm -hmm. of exposure suggests that maybe it's as high as 15%, but most of the models project around 10%. So it means a lot of the country is still very susceptible to this virus. There's a lot of room for it to run.
1: Right. And and you know I ask you that because one of the members of the task force, Dr. Scott Atlas, directly refuted the CDC director. So I just wanted to be on the record clarifying that. There have been um, a lot of reports out there that even if you get COVID and you survive, that you have related health problems afterwards. What do we know at this point what the impact of the virus is?
7: We don't know the full impact on the virus. What we're seeing in, in various studies is that there's some long-term sequelae related to the virus, so we don't really understand what the relationship is to the virus itself. The virus does seem to trigger in, in certain people, rarely, but in certain people, some kind of autoimmune type of phenomenon where you get some persistent symptoms from the virus. And when you're infecting so many people with the virus as we are, even a small percentage of patients having some persistent symptoms ends up being a lot of people. And so there's more and more evidence of this. This syndrome hasn't been fully characterized, um, but there is, I think there is enough evidence right now to suggest that there are people who are having long-term sequelae from the infection.
1: Dr. Gottlieb, thank you, as always, for your insight. The airline industry is one of the hardest hit this year due to the coronavirus, and we want to go now to the CEO of American Airlines, Doug Parker, who joins us from Fort Worth, Texas. Good morning to you. Good Morning, Mark. You announced Friday uh, that you came to terms with the U.S. Treasury for a five and a half billion dollar loan. You could get another two billion if you need it. How long will this money last and does it mean you won't have to carry out the 19,000 furloughs and job cuts you predict will happen this week?
8: Oh yeah! Look, there's, we have plenty of liquidity. Um, this, this, uh, that loan is part of the CARES Act from back in March. Uh, some really important legislation, I think, for our country, certainly for our business, for the airline industry. It provided 25 billion dollars of loans to airlines, uh, and that loan you're talking about is just the closing of our pro share of that loan. Uh, but it also provided 25 billion dollars of payroll support, essentially a pass-through, a pass-through, to the airlines uh, to pay our people, even though we didn't have full work for them to keep airlines moving to keep the country moving. Um, that's th- Both of those things are really important. Uh, the loan program uh, is complete. Uh, the payroll support program, unfortunately, expires on October 1st. Back in March, uh, we all thought demand would be back. We wouldn't need support beyond this pr- beyond this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. So on October 1st, uh, that program, absent being extended, is going to expire. And indeed, there are going to be 100,000 uh, aviation professionals who are out of work who wouldn't be otherwise. That's why we're fighting so hard uh, to get that payroll support Support extended.
1: So, to be clear, your plan is still this week to lay off or furlough 19,000 people?
8: Our plan, actually, is to get uh, uh, Congress and the administration to come together and get the COVID relief package passed that, inc- that will include support. Uh, Do you and you have any reason to believe that program. is going to happen? We do. There's enormous bipartisan support for it. Uh, we have, uh, Republicans, Democrats, the administration all saying, uh, be- knowing that this is the right program, that it makes sense, uh, that indeed it should be extended, uh, because, uh, airline employees provide p- critical infrastructure. And once we furlough those employees, uh, it's really hard, for example, to get pilots back in training. Uh, so once, once, once we've furloughed mm-hmm. and shrunk airlines, uh, our ability to continue to provide services needed to pull the economy back out of this. Right. Uh, is going to be severely hampered. So, yeah, there's enormous support for it. Uh, you know, we have everyone putting us in every bill they have. We just need the bills to be laws. We need, we need laws, not bills. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's, what, that's a, what we're trying to That's what we're going to do. I'm actually confident we can get it done.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you're confident because um, the hopes, and as, as, as you're laying out there, I mean, Congress is just completely stalled on this. Did the White House give you an assurance? that they will step in and give some kind of emergency aid to you if Congress can't deliver by September 30th?
8: The president said he's interested in in, uh, doing executive order, if it makes sense. We think the better plan is to get legislation passed between now and then. We really do believe it can happen. We're certainly—there's certainly not much time left, but there's enough time. Uh, And uh, again, in some—oftentimes, a deadline like this is what is needed uh, to get action. We're hoping that's the case. We're letting everyone know that this is a real deadline. Uh, Indeed, 100,000 aviation professionals are going to be out of work uh, come October 1st if we don't get people to come together, uh, we're really hopeful they can. Again, we've been told by all sides that they are supportive of this, that it makes complete sense, uh, that they're on our side. We just need them to work to come together and do what's best for America and for our country and certainly for the airline business.
1: As you laid out, it was taxpayers back in the spring that gave the $25 billion to help you make payroll. Um, the bet at the time was that the, our health professionals would have everything under control by September 30th, and that is just clearly not the case. So what's, I mean, how much money and for how long it becomes the follow question here, right? I mean, how do you get customers to fly again before there's a vaccine?
8: Well, we're seeing some increase um, in in as, as customers begin to return to the skies understanding that indeed it is safe to fly we're seeing gradual improvement uh, the biggest so a vaccine certainly uh, would be really helpful but you know in between there uh, having quarantines go away having uh, you know in, having companies bring people back into the office returning to work those types of things have huge impact on the need for air travel mm-hmm. we we saw you know in American we had our revenues were down some 85 percent in the second quarter they yeah. down about 75% in the third quarter. They're going to be down about okay. 65% in the fourth quarter. And that's better than most companies. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's still down 65%. So it's yeah. gradual return. But having revenues okay. down 65% nine months later is a big problem.
1: All right. I'm sorry. I'm out of time. I got to leave it there. Good luck to you, sir. We'll be back in a moment.
0: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
6: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Georgia has gone
1: Republican in the last seven elections, but this is 2020. CBS National Correspondent Mark Strassman reports.
9: Make Georgia vote Trump again. That's the president's struggle in a state reliably Republican no more. This Trump stump on Friday pitched black voters. Racial
2: justice begins with Joe Biden's retirement from public life. What the hell do you have to lose?
9: Nothing, Stephen Stalker says. Democrats have never, ever done anything for us uh, as a black uh people some republican strategists admit to win an election night the president needs georgia to wear a maga hat there not this georgia tech student biden at least appears to be making some effort to unite people according to our cbs news battleground tracker georgia is a toss-up president trump just one point ahead the big issues in a state with a roughly even split among voters in both parties covid the covid economy the supreme court and a summer of unrest
0: we're not democrats that are burning down cities
9: for decades here the late john lewis thundered about the importance of voting turnout is critical for joe biden on the front lines of Atlanta suburbs and among the 30 percent of georgia's registered voters who are black joe and kamala uniquely understand this biden campaign ad targets black turnout but in this atlanta neighborhood the motivation to get out to vote may be more about President Trump.
3: We don't have to vote for Biden
4: just because we have to. Why? To get Trump out.
9: Voters are only somewhat confident their votes will be counted correctly, more so Republicans than Democrats.
0: In person. I ain't trusting the mail stuff.
9: A new lawsuit this weekend alleged security issues with voting machines. The third-party vendor is trying to fix it. In toss-up Georgia, this election's the most unsettled debate since sweet tea versus unsweet, in a state where a Democrat for president last won in 1992. Mark Strassman, CBS News, Atlanta.
1: Mark Strassman, thank you. The race is also close in nearby North Carolina, which has gone to Republicans the last two elections. Former Vice President Biden is currently up two points there, with 48 percent support— President Trump is at 46%. Just how much of a factor is that Supreme Court battle becoming? CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto is in Westchester County, New York, with more on his findings. Anthony, what have you found?
10: Uh, Good morning, Margaret. Voters tell us they feel like it's raised the stakes in what was already a high-stakes election, one where many in these states tell us they feel like their culture and way of life is at stake. Let me show you this. A majority of voters in both these states feel like it's made the election even more important, especially Democrats feeling that way. But now both parties tell us that they are motivated to vote. Very high levels there. That's critical in an election that will probably all come down to turnout. But let me remind everybody, don't forget about the economy. It still outranks the court and many other issues in both of these states. Coronavirus, also really important. And the reason that this is so critical, Margaret, is that the president has a lead on who would be better at handling the economy in both of these states and in many others we've polled. In fact, across the board lately, we have seen a tightening of this race in state after state.
1: Anthony, we know Republicans also want to hold on to their Senate majority. Do we have any indication on whether the fates of these Republican senators in southern states are directly tied to the president's fortunes?
10: Uh, Well, some of it is, Margaret. Let me start in South Carolina, Republican—reliably Republican—state. But here we find that incumbent Senator Lindsey Graham is in a very tight race with Democratic challenger Jamie Harrison. One reason is that while Republicans like the fact that he is close to the president, moderates and independents especially feeling like he agrees with Donald Trump, too much. And it's a similar story in North Carolina, where incumbent Tom Tillis is down to Democrat Cal Cunningham. Same story.
1: Anthony, given a record number of people are expected to vote by mail, will we know how this race is headed uh, before November 3rd?
10: Some of it will be in the bank, as they say, because of so much. In fact, a majority of the votes will be cast before Election Day. If you look at two states here, starting with North Carolina—look at how many Democrats over Republicans say that they want to vote by mail or absentee, and then a sizable number also are going to vote in person early. I suspect that when we get to Election Day, we'll be looking at whether or not Republicans can turn out in large numbers on Election Day, maybe to make up that deficit. The fact is that they've done it before in the past, and they say they're going to do it again. But one other wrinkle in this, Margaret, is that Republicans say that they find navigating the voting process very easy in higher numbers than Democrats do. In a race where you're going to have different kinds of voting, that's going to be really important to what those turnout numbers ultimately become, Margaret.
1: And I know, Anthony, you'll keep us honest on this complicated process this election year. Thank you very much. That's it for us today. We will see you next week. I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Delaware Democratic Senator Chris Coons, former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, former White House Counsel Don McGann, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, and American Airlines CEO Doug Parker. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday.
6: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented... They'll be on Auto
8: Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.
0: Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.